Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. What an honor it is to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, would you open it up to Acts chapter 19? Acts chapter 19. It really is a privilege to be here, and I'm deeply grateful for the Highland Church, who is our sending church. I'm the lead planter of a new church launching in the University District of Memphis, Lord willing, next January, and Highland has just overwhelmed us with generosity and goodness. We have tasted the blessings of the Lord through this church and through your leaders. So to the elders, to the staff, and if Eric were here not recovering, I would say thank you dearly for partnering with us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody has as high a view of church planting or of a kingdom perspective as Highland. Can I just share a few quotes of strange things that people say to church planters? Here's, a, here's one. Every church planter I know has a pride issue. That was harsh, okay. Are you just mad at your elders? Well, no, but that, okay. Aren't there enough already? Maybe we'll talk about that. This city needs another church like I need another hole in my head. Whoa. You're starting a church? I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> now, a lot of these are actually feelings that I've had along the way. You see, one, it's like, are we sure about the motives of church planters? Two, are we sure we actually need more churches? There seem to be a lot of those. And three, I've never even met a church planter. I'm basically clueless. Those are the stages of my life when it comes to church planting. But that began to change several years ago when a preacher came in from out of town. And on a Sunday night, he made the case for the first time for me for the need for church planting and the power of planting churches. And the Lord used that night. It was like a seed that grew into a burden, a burden that grew into a passion, and here we are. You know, I've been praying that the Lord might do that with somebody here today, that he would use this lesson like a seed, but I think there's actually something for all of us here. Why plant a church? That's the crucial question that I want to ask and then answer this morning. Why plant a church? And this question has changed my life. It's changed my life. And the answer that I've discovered isn't what I initially thought. Initially, I, I thought kind of those critiques of planters and churches. But here, here's a good summary of where we're going from one of the leading researchers. He says, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. I want to show in Acts 19 with just a few observations and then I'm going to basically use those as springboards to answer why plant a church in a couple of ways. Let's just first read this text together. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and he came to Ephesus and there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Paul says to them, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance that was pointing to the one who was to come after him, and that's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. By the way, save those questions for Eric next week. 
And there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's just make a few observations, starting right there in verse 1. I'm going to keep coming back to this verse and just highlight different, different words. In 19 verse 1, it says that he passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. This is our springboard with our first answer. Why plant a church? Why plant a church? Because of the biblical pattern of church planting. We know the language of church planting from Paul. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. But I'm asking, why was Paul even planting churches to begin with? And I believe it's because he understood, just like the rest of the apostles, that Jesus' great commission leads inevitably to church planting. They're connected. Making disciples and church planting are meant to be integrated, essential components of the same mission of growing the kingdom of God. This shows up in two ways in the Great Commission. The first way is baptism. He says, I want you to go, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is where it moves from conversion into community. When you're baptized, the Lord adds you to a people, to a large family, the family of Jesus Christ. Where does this happen? Well, it happens in churches. Baptism and disciple-making go in with church planting. The, the second way it shows up in the Great Commission is when he says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Where does that happen? Well, it happens in churches. Decisions have to lead into discipleship. You and I both know, we've seen it in people. You may be related to people where decisions disappear, but churches change lives. The disciples knew that disciple-making and church planting, they go together. They're both essential, integrated aspects of the Great Commission. But we see something else about his strategy here, and it's in those words that I highlighted from 19.1. That Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. He stayed there. He settled in. And repeatedly, we see Paul doing this, not just in Acts 19, but he will show up, and then he will go to a major city and stay there. Paul seems to know that there's major potential in major cities. From the city, he has the potential to impact the whole region. Tim Keller is one of my favorite church planters. He was in a small town in rural Virginia, and then he and his family moved into Manhattan, New York, to plant a new church. And he says, in his, his book on church planting, he says, Paul seems to have two assumptions here. He says, the way to most permanently influence a region or a country is by reaching its cities. But secondly, the way to most permanently influence or impact a city is by planting churches in it. This is what Paul consistently does in large major cities. But it's really cool where Paul does this in Ephesus. This one in particular is so cool to me because it says that he basically sets up shop in the, in the hall of Tyrannus. He goes not only into the major city, but he goes into the education center of the major city. In the education center, he's speaking boldly and proclaiming and reasoning. What makes him so effective here in Ephesus? There's a, a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. 
Those are two of my favorite things, evangelism and the early church. And he says, here's what makes Paul so successful. He says, here was a man who could hold his own even in public debate. He goes right where it's happening. And he sets up shop for years. And people pour in from the regions, and then they pour out from him. Churches start popping up all over Asia that Paul has never visited. There's churches in Laodicea and Colossae and Hierapolis that Paul doesn't, he didn't plant them. But there's a radiating effect because he went to a a major strategic city. This is all more than intriguing to me. Because this is basically the strategy that we're adopting. We want to go into the city of Memphis because we believe it has strategic potential, especially in the Mid-South. Because of our network and our institutions and churches of Christ stretching from Searcy to Nashville, there's so much potential If you could go from a city to a region, you could go to the ends of the earth. And if you went to the university centers and you could make disciples of students and families, perhaps, perhaps we could also start seeing this radiating effect like a kingdom outpost. That's our our dream. And you may be thinking, well, it makes sense in Ephesus, but in Memphis, we already have a lot of churches. All right, let's move into our second way of talking about this. Let me highlight something else from chapter 19 and verse 1. It's the cities. It says that Apollos is at Corinth and Paul is at Ephesus. And our second answer to the question of why plant a church, we've saw the biblical pattern, but I think some of our, our objections, they undermine this second point, the passing nature of churches the passing nature of churches. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia. Do you know which of Paul's church plants still exist today? None of them. That's not to say you couldn't go visit them. You could go visit the ruins of the city of Corinth. It's it's amazing. In fact, you could go visit some really ancient historical churches in Turkey where he's at right here. The Hagia Sophia, it's, it's brilliant, it's beautiful. It's built in the 500s, but you should be warned, it's now a Muslim place of worship. It's a mosque. You see, churches are passing. Even the the churches that the apostles planted have passed. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is an eternal reality, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But our congregations are not. Our congregations have life cycles, birth, growth, decline, death. I just want to illustrate this, this problem of life cycles and the passing nature of churches, and I want to illustrate it using a, a case study, Churches of Christ. One reason is because this is a Church of Christ. You're most familiar with it, but mostly it's because I'm most familiar with it. This is the research that I've dove into. So what's happened, say, in my lifetime in our fellowship? Well, in the last 30 years or so, our adherence rate has plummeted by about 35%. We've lost nearly a quarter of a million members in our children in just a couple of decades. Researchers say this life cycle problem shows up in a couple of other ways. If you want to know where a movement is going to be in 10 years, look at how many children they're having. And guys, this isn't good news for us because our children are leaving. The median age in our church is 65 years old. And let me just say that most 65-year-olds aren't having many kids. 
You want to know where a church is going to be in 10 years? Look at its birth rate. You want to know where a church is going to be in, or a movement, a fellowship is going to be in 25 years? Look at its planting rate. Planting rate is a leading indicator about a generation out. Church planting is an investment in generational impact for the kingdom of God, and we, we need it. Ed Stetzer, he's a professor and a church planter, and this is his area of research. And he says that if a movement or a fellowship just wants to break even, it has to plant at a 3% rate. Just to break even, given attrition and life cycles, just to break even. To put that in perspective, that means we need to plant about 350 new churches every year in the United States. In 2016, as best we can tell, we planted three. The church of Christ is closing every six days. Estimates are that we're losing 2,000 members a month. And because of who we're losing, younger people, they say the next 30 years is even more grim than the last. Stan Granberg, some of you may know him, Tim Woodruff, researchers in Churches of Christ, they say it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could lose a million members in the next 30 years and close 9,000 churches. I want you to feel the weight of this, even as you look around and see it's just how unique Highland is. Highland is unique in so many ways. One, because of their long history, but mostly because of their enduring fruitfulness in the kingdom. This is a special church. It's one of the largest churches of Christ in the whole world. And so this reality, my, my wife grew up at Highland, and she like, didn't know what it was like elsewhere. Did you know that the median size of a church of Christ in our country is 34 people? That's like this row, you know? <laughs> there, there's something special about, about this church. 93 years old, I believe, and they're still helping to give birth. Guys, that's an Abraham and Sarah kind of story. But it's a story that points to this reality. That for us, it's easier to give birth than it is to raise the dead. We need new churches. We need to plant new churches because churches have life cycles and churches pass away. It's, it's the Great Commission. It's the Apostles' strategy. But it also, it's this urgent reality. But we have some hope because of churches like Highland and churches that are launching like Oikos. And here, just in time, we have some hope to get into our, our third way to answer this question. Back to 19 verse 1. At the end of this verse, it says, there he found some disciples. There he found some disciples. I want to give our third answer to why plant a church. Plant a church because of the power of church planting. The power of church planting. Who are those disciples in Acts 19? Are they disciples of Jesus? No. They haven't even heard of Jesus. They don't even know about the Holy Spirit. And to me, this is fascinating because it introduces a category of person who believes in God and believes in his prophets and scriptures, but is not walking in discipleship to Jesus. They need the gospel. And this is important because when I look at Memphis, Memphis is in the Bible Belt. It's not in Silicon Valley, right? Most people here believe in God. Most people here believe in Scripture, but most people here are not walking in discipleship to Jesus. And in this chapter, it shows us that they need discipleship to Jesus. They need a commitment to Him as Lord and King in baptism, and they need the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I be bold enough to suggest that some of the people in need of the gospel in Memphis are actually at a church already? I mean, the power of planting churches just opens up these opportunities to reach unchurched people. 
and to invite them into walking with Jesus in discipleship. We need established churches in this city, but we also need new churches because new churches best reach unchurched people. They can adapt to unchurched people. And adaptation just isn't the strength of most established churches. Most people describe it like a big ship that's slow to turn. That's not true with new churches. New churches baptize at higher rates, three to five times that of most others. It takes fewer budget dollars. It takes fewer people because evangelism is a primary focus early on in the years after birth and growth. They best reach unchurched people, but they also just best reach younger people. Younger people are, are reached by younger churches. This is historically the case, and it's still the case today. We need new churches in the early stages of their life cycle to focus on young people. New churches help reach new people coming into Memphis. Some of you know this experience of what it's like to be new at a church. And it seems like everybody else already has their friends. All the ministries are already full. <laughs> but at a new church, they depend on new people coming in, and everyone's looking for relationships and so they can be easier. New churches can reach people in ways differently than established churches, and we need that in the city. But one other really cool thing happens in chapter 19. Look at verse 9. In chapter 19, 9, it says that some of the people, they became stubborn. They became stubborn, and they continued in unbelief. They were speaking evil of the way. This is interesting. Uh, it's, it's an enduring reality, let's just say, that when a church shows up with a new expression, it faces opposition. Some giants in the faith, they turned on Paul. Remember Peter? Even Barnabas. When the church shows up in a new expression, some of the old guard kind of bows up in a stubborn way. But look at the benefit of what a new church can bring into an ecosystem of the people of God. I believe that new churches can help existing churches they can help existing churches. One way is by prompting self-examination. Paul's church plants reminded the people of God of the power of the grace of God, of the gospel, of faith, of holiness. And they, they shine light on, on enduring sins like self-righteousness and legalism and racism. And the new churches, they faced opposition, but through it, they showed the people of God what the heart of the faith was all about. New churches help remind us, but they also help innovate us. Tim Keller, again, he says that new churches are like the research and development department of the body of Christ in the city. They're like, you go try that and then let us know in 10 years if it works, then we'll try it. They rely on creativity and innovation in ways that established churches don't. But it's not just declining churches that they're helping and sinful churches that they're helping. New churches help partner churches. This is one of the beautiful points of our partnership with Highland. Highland is the sending church for Oikos Church. And our prayer is, is that what's true in the research will be just made alive here from the hand of God. New churches, they get healthier in the process. Have you ever heard a, a mature couple, let's say, they have a child later in life. And what do they say about it? They say it keeps us young. The same is true of churches who help plant churches. It keeps them young. It, it lowers their age in the life cycle. And so Highland may be 93 years old, but she's not acting like it. You know, <laughs> she's still giving birth. So there, there's this two-way benefit of renewal that happens with partner churches. But there's one other way that the power of church planting really shows up in Ephesians. And I just, time would fail me to 
to tell the rest of the story of chapter 19. But what we see is that the city is transformed by the presence of new churches. The city is transformed. People in their hurts, in their bondage, are set free to enjoy the freedom of the Spirit of God. The the systems of injustice and economics are turned upside down. They're not always thrilled with the church, but the church has a leavening effect so that it radiates the goodness of God into those places. And that's our hope for this new church plan. That by the power of God's grace, we can make an impact in the city of Memphis. We can make an impact in the ecosystem of our churches. And that we can make an impact in the lives of unchurched people who need to walk in discipleship with Jesus. About a year ago, I started with my wife, Kelsey. Kelsey, where are you at, by the way? Okay. Um, We started asking this question, if not us, then who? If not us, then who? Because in Churches of Christ, we don't have a denominational committee that's trying to figure out church planning in the city of Memphis. We don't have a strategic plan for the whole organization to figure out how we're going to reach to the ends of the earth. We don't have that. We don't have a headquarters. We have disciples and we have churches. And that means we have to work together by the grace of God to do something about this problem of church planting. And so we said, if not us, then who? And here we are. And we started asking... If not Highland, then who? And Highland, by the, by the mercy of God, has stepped up once again to plant more churches in the city of Memphis. And we are, we are praying that God would just pour out blessings on Highland for those steps. But today I'm also asking you, if not you, then who? And that doesn't mean that everyone is going to be sent out like a church planter. You, not everyone here is going to be um, like a missionary in the same way. But everyone here has an opportunity. Let me just share today, what I think is the biggest opportunity, and it comes from Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Jesus has a team of 72 people that he's trying to go impact a region with. And he says this to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is what I'm asking you to do. Will you pray earnestly? We are praying earnestly at Oikos. Will you pray earnestly? We're praying for Highland. We're praying that God would send new people, that he would send out people, that he would raise up leaders, that Highland's impact and fruitfulness in the kingdom would just grow and grow and grow. Because Jesus himself said, I've set you, you've been faithful over a little, now I'm going to set you over much. That's our prayer for this church and how they are showing this kingdom perspective. But I'm asking you to pray earnestly also for Oikos Church. We need laborers. We want to help awaken a spirit-led movement in the city of Memphis to the ends of the earth. And we need help. We need people on our launch team. We need the power of God to, to go before us in small ways like finding a facility, in big ways like sharing the gospel on campus this week. Did you know that students show up at the University of Memphis for the first time since a pandemic this week? And our team is going to be there to meet them, to try to invite them to walk with us in discipleship to Jesus. We're so excited about what's possible, but it happens through the power of prayer. It happens through prayer. We pray with us and for us. And if you want to know more about Oikos in particular, that wasn't really my task today. Next week, August 29th, we're having an interest meeting where you can lunch and learn with us. Lunch is provided. Child care is provided. And if you have a curiosity, question, and interest, we just invite you to share a table with us. And 
let us share some of our story about what God is doing at Oikos. You can register on the link, but when you register or when you show up, that doesn't mean you're, you're committed to becoming a church planter. It's, it's just you're having lunch. So if you're interested, we're inviting you into that space, and we ask that you register, while also recognizing that if you don't register, you're more than welcome to come. This is a good opportunity. It's next week right after worship. Just make your way over to the youth mission, and we'll be thrilled to have you. If you've got more questions today, our team will be in the foyer uh, to talk with you. Because I just want you to imagine what could happen. What could happen at Highland? What could happen in the University District of Memphis? It's really exciting to me. Every one of us had our lives changed because someone planted a church, because someone watered a church, and because God gave growth to us through those churches. And it just so happens, as the Lord would have it, that a key part of my family story is this church. And how this church, by the power of God, was growing her into someone who cared about the city, who cared about discipleship. We're so excited to see that with a new expression, in a new place, with a new generation, starting this week as we walk on campus. Can you imagine what it could be like for a student who's just searching for their identity to have a church surround them and say, we want to help you walk in your gospel identity. To have somebody in the city of Memphis who's turned away from church at some point to, to come and to experience the church as a family. That's what we want to see. And we think the Lord could do amazing things through this. I have imagined this, as you, as you, can, as you can tell. But I know this, that he is able to do abundantly more than all that we ask or imagine, according to the power at work in us. To him be glory in the church, in this church, in Oikos church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, you were the creator of heaven and earth. You were king of the universe. We are humbled before your throne, and we want to be used to build your kingdom here. May you bear fruit at Highland and raise up new people, raise up new leaders, and may you send out laborers for Oikos Church. Father, we pray not only for this city, but we pray for the Mid-South and to the ends of the earth. May your name be glorified and the gospel of Jesus Christ shared to those you have called. In his name, amen.